This is the Church Planting Podcast, brought to you by the Broadcast Network. Broadcast exists to support, train and encourage church planters. For more information about who we are or about the training that we offer, please visit our website at www.thebroadcastnetwork.org. Um, I want to encourage you to pray for unreached places. When I was a brand new Christian, I met someone from Afghanistan, a Christian from Afghanistan, a very rare person. And they, they gave me a little note of Afghani money and said, put this in your Bible. And just so whenever you come across it, you'll remember to pray for Afghanistan. And that was when I was 17. I'd just become a Christian. And um, I'm still praying for Afghanistan. I've not been there, maybe never go there, but praying for that nation. Not every day, but whenever it kind of flips up in my Bible. And I want to encourage you, get hold of a country or a people and just pray and say, God, I might never go there, but I want to pray. For-. Is that okay? Yeah. Okay, so just right now, let's just welcome the presence of the Holy Spirit. And um, we've heard some wonderful things today about leaving our nets, letting go of some things. Taylor was encouraging us and being open to follow him. And um, that means the Lord could lead you anywhere, right? He could say anything to you, right? So let's just be open to him. And you could ask him the question right now. Lord, what's my part to play in world mission? It's a brave prayer. But right now, God will speak to some of you. What's my part to play? How can I contribute to this great story of every nation and every people and every culture coming to know Jesus. And if you just look along your row, how many people is there in a row? Like six, seven? Um, I wonder how many uh, on each row, what proportion of us would go on cross-cultural mission at some point in our lives to another nation? You might think, oh, it's a really small proportion. That would be really sad if that was the case. Um, I think the Bible talks about tithing, so churches give away 10% of their money uh, outside their church. Churches should also be giving away 10% of their people outside their church. It's tithing the resources that God entrusts to us, leaders. Um, But if you look at the first 12 disciples, actually one disqualified himself, one died within his own nation in Jerusalem. The rest of them all went to other countries with the gospel to witness to Jesus and all died in those places far from their home. So that's 10 out of 12. So that's, if you look along your row now, 10 out of 12, maybe that's a bit more of a biblical thing. Christians are people on the move. Christians are people who are blown by the Spirit of God. We put up our sail, the Holy Spirit blows, and we go where he takes us, right? Just tell you a little story. Um, some friends in the Arab world, uh, they spent years and years learning Arabic, not an easy language to learn, uh, getting jobs in this certain country, setting themselves up there in order to be able to tell people about Jesus. So just getting to that place was years of preparation, right? And they're there running these little Bible studies, and this happened last year, uh, they um, In their little Bible study, there's a a new visitor. She's an old lady, Muslim lady, covered head. And um, 
they say, okay, welcome, and let's do our Bible study today. And the story that we're going to look at in the Bible is Luke 15, and it's the story that we heard earlier uh, about the shepherd who goes and finds the sheep, puts the sheep on his shoulders, and carries it. So they tell the story, and this old lady, this old Muslim lady, she says, wait, 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 stop, 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 stop. That's my story. That's my story. I've met him. So they were like, okay, we had a plan. Just pause the plan. (laughs) Auntie, tell us your story. What happened? And she says, well, this is my story. I was leaving my country as a refugee. We'd paid the the people smuggler. He'd brought us to the border. We got out of the truck. And then he said to the whole group of us, now overnight you need to cross the mountains and cross the border. And... um, And then you'll be on the other side of the border. But he looked at me, and I'm an old lady with a walking stick. And he said, I'm sorry, auntie. You won't be able to cross the mountains. It's hard going during the night. We're going to have to leave you behind. And she's like, no, no, no. I've I've got no one back home. I've left everything. I've paid all my money to you to bring me. Please, you've got to to let me do this. And he's like, no, 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 auntie. You, you, You can't even walk. You're an old lady with a walking stick. And she said, just at that moment, a young man who she hadn't noticed before stepped forward from the group and said, don't worry, I'll carry her. And she said, he put me on his shoulders, on his back, and he carried me all night over the mountains to the other side. And then in the morning when we'd crossed the border and he put me down, I said to him, young man, thank you so much. How, how do I thank you? I, I, I haven't got anything, otherwise I'd give you something. Uh, I just, and he said, don't worry, don't worry, you don't need to give me anything. But in exactly a week's time, you will meet my followers, and they will give you a gift, and you need to accept it. And she was like, that's a bit weird. What does he mean, my followers? That doesn't make any sense. And she said, okay, well, at least at least tell me your name so I can remember you. And he said to her, yes, my name is Isa, which in Arabic is Jesus. And so she's sitting in this Bible study group, and they're reading this story about the good shepherd who puts the sheep on his shoulders, and she's like, that's my story. So if you're his followers, you need to give me a gift so they share the gospel with her, and she comes to faith. Now, The reason I tell you that story is there's lots of themes in it that are going to pop up as we talk about world mission and mission to the unreached. And um, just to point you over here to our unreached uh, stand and just to let you know a few things that are going on. So the unreached network is something that I lead across New Frontiers, uh, helping people on their cross-cultural journey. So helping people with training and equipping And um, we run an internship program uh, which is specifically focused on kind of cross-cultural skills. Uh, So you can chat to the guys over there and find out about it. Our conference uh, this year, 9th and 10th of June, uh, online, is focused on reconciliation and peace building. So some of the stuff that Owen was talking about last night, and in fact, Owen is one of the speakers this year. Um, And because it's online, people join from all over the world and share stories of what God's doing in different places. So just to let you know about that. The way I want to speak today um, is I really want to kind of give advice for people who feel that they might be called to be involved in world mission. So it's not my job to call you. Jesus does that. Um, But it's my job to help you if you feel a sense of call 
to World Mission to think about what kind of steps and what kind of work we need to do in our hearts in order to respond to that call. Is that okay? So I just want to give you a bit of sort of big... I've realized I'm the oldest of all the speakers, which must be the first... I'm usually the young guy, so it must be the first time in my life. So I'm going to give you some big brotherly advice. Um, but consider me someone who's immersed in this space, who lives in this world, who's thinking about it all the time, and I just want to throw you a few sort of ideas. Um, it's not my job to persuade you that there is a world of people who live in places who may never have the opportunity to hear about Jesus. Um, that kind of should be obvious when you look at your map or you watch your TV, that although there's a lot of people in England who don't know Jesus, if they wanted to, they could find out about him. There's a lot of people in a lot of places who if they wanted to find out about Jesus, wouldn't even know where to start because in their country, in their language, there might be no church, there might be no Christians, they might never meet someone who knows Jesus who could introduce them. And we'll come on to that shortly. But if Jesus is the door to life, there's a whole world of people who don't even know that there's a door, let alone can't find it. So they're stuck in their panic room thinking that's all there is to life and don't even know to look for a door out. Um, last night, Andrew Bunt said regarding abortion, and I think he spoke really wisely and prophetically to us, that we should be close enough to people, to women who are struggling with this issue, to be able to show love and empathy and listen, but give them an informed choice. And I think the same is true with sharing the gospel to people from other cultures. Um, we need to be close enough to people, understand their world, be listening to their pain. And to do that, we've got to work hard to get there, to learn their language, to be where they are, so that people can make an informed choice about Jesus. We're not forcing Christianity on people. It's not colonialism in our old sense of the world, because colonialism was white, and Christianity isn't white, and Jesus isn't white. Yeah, Jesus looked a bit more like me, kind of Middle Eastern. Um, and, and so the same is true regarding many places in the world, that we can offer Jesus to people, at least they can have the choice and they can make an informed choice. I'm just going to read a little bit of scripture, Romans 10, uh, verses 9 to 15. They're well-known verses, and this will just kind of frame where we're going to go today. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. Amen? For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek, for the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. In other words, anyone from any culture, from any language, can put their faith in Jesus and be saved. Verse 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But how will they call on him in whom they've not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've not heard? And how are they to hear without someone telling them? It's pretty basic stuff. And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it's written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. So if we value the fact that people should be offered the choice of life, 
There's no force in evangelism. There's no kind of beating people. But getting close enough to people to offer them the choice of Jesus is what we're called to do. And it's a big world. So, a few things inside us, a few heart things that we need to settle when we think about world mission. The first thing is this, there's no glory in it. Okay, I know some incredible people working in incredibly difficult situations, faithfully ministering away, and you've never heard their names, and you'll never meet them, and there's security reasons for that, and they don't have a social media profile, and they're not telling anyone what they're doing, but it's gold, and they're the best people you'll ever meet, right? And so there's no glory in it. There's no platform in it. There's no um, fame in this kind of long-term, cross-cultural Christian witness. It's lots of hard work and tears, and very rarely celebrated. Um, it's a bit like being a midwife. So I don't know the names of any of the midwives who delivered my kids, but I'm really glad that they were good at their job. They didn't, they didn't drop the baby or, you know, I'm really glad that they studied and that they trained and that they qualified and they safely delivered my kids. I'm really grateful, but I, I never learned their names. And being a cross-cultural Christian witness, it's the same thing. You go to a place, you study, you learn the language, you serve people, you see a church emerge in that place, you're, you're, you're birthing something, you're midwifing something. Does that make sense? But there's no kind of fame in it. And so that's the, one of the things you've got to settle is, I want to live my life under the radar, serving people um, in places that people might never have heard of. And see people come to know Jesus. Secondly, so there's no fame in it. Secondly, there's no money in it, right? You'll never meet a rich missionary. I'll tell you that for free. And um, uh, when Jesus sent out his apostles to go and tell people about him, he very clearly said to them, acquire no gold or silver or copper for your belts, no bag for your journey. Don't even take two tunics or sandals or a staff for the laborer deserves his wages. And so Jesus sends his, his people out with nothing. Why? Because then there'll be a vulnerability, there'll be a dependency, there'll be a pain in it, there'll be a, they won't come with kind of power and resources, they'll come just saying to people, look, we've got nothing. And so if your life goal is whatever comes after Jordan 4s, Jordan 5s, Rolexes, driving a Tesla, you know, then this isn't for you. Um, but if your life goal is, Lord, I've left my nets to follow you. So I just want to be really upfront about this, right? The cross-cultural thing, uh, you'll never meet a rich missionary. And if you do, there's something wrong with them. Don't trust them. It's like don't trust a skinny chef, right? <laughs> um, don't trust a bald hairdresser. Uh, don't, don't trust a general with no scars, what do they do? Sit behind the desk and tell other people to go do the hard work. And um, don't trust a missionary if they've got money. That's what I'm saying, right? And number three, it, in terms of things that we need to resolve inside ourselves, it's full of pain and tears. Most people that I know that serve in the cross-cultural mission space have huge amounts of pain in their lives and in their families. That's true in our family. A whole world of mess and hurt and pain and darkness. It's true with nearly everyone that I know that works. I'm really selling it to you, aren't I? Right? Um, I'll tell you why 
I'm being so honest about this. So often, on the sort of missionary appeal moments, people do the Isaiah 6 thing. So I saw the Lord, and he said, who will go and who shall we send? And Isaiah said, here I am, send me. And we often do that, like, who wants to go? But we stop there. But if you keep reading the chapter, Isaiah 6, the whole rest of the chapter is God going to Isaiah, all right then, just so you know, it's going to be really hard and really messy, and you're going to serve kings who won't listen to you, and everyone's going to reject you and laugh at you. And as we were hearing from our brother John earlier, you know, there's, there's pain and challenge in this space. And so there's three heart things I just wanted to give you to settle before we get into world mission. You need to choose that there's no glory in it. You need to understand there's no money in it. And you need to understand that it's a world of pain. Okay, who wants to go? (laughs) Fascinatingly, I go around the place, I tell people that, I say who wants to go, and there's a lot of people. Because we're being honest, we're counting the cost. As Liz said to us earlier, take up our cross and follow Jesus. That's what he's called us to do. Right, a couple of things about the world map and about the map of the Christian church at the moment that we need to understand if we're going to think about world mission, okay? So getting our map right. The first thing is this, global Christianity, I don't know how you think about the church around the world, it looks really different today than it did 100 years ago. And so Christianity is not white, we are not normative in this room, we're the sort of the minority, the fringe of global Christianity. If you said to an alien, hey alien, come and research Christianity on planet Earth and see what you find, what, what they would probably find is a black African. Because 40% of Christians on the planet are in sub-Saharan Africa. Did you know that? 40%. So a normal Christian. Christianity is an African religion. Okay? Uh, there's 1.2 billion people living in Africa. And there's 600 million Christians. That's half. So one in two Africans is a Christian. If you meet two Africans, one of them is a Christian. In the UK, it's higher than that, in terms of Africans in the UK. And the energy and the, the youthfulness of the church in Africa and the missionary impulse means that Africans are bringing the gospel, flooding Europe, and seeing Europe as a mission field, right? Because mission flows from the full to the empty, and Africa's full of Christians and Europe's empty. So the biggest church in Europe is African. The biggest churches in the UK are African. The biggest churches in London are African. The best witness in your town, probably an African church, right? So the reason I'm saying that is partly to celebrate the fact that Christianity is very different now than it was 100 years ago. It's partly to remind us that we're, you know, the UK is a kind of a, it's not, it's not the only kind of Christianity. And in fact, it's, it's a minority kind of Christianity on the planet. But it's also, to tell you this, and this won't be popular, when I'm talking about feeling called to world mission, I'm not talking about Africa. Okay? Take Africa off the table. Take sub-Saharan Africa off the table. If you came to me as a white person and said, I feel called to Africa, I would say to you, no, you don't. Which I say to people in our church and they get annoyed at me. Because... 
African missionaries need to come here, not the other way around. So when we're talking about world mission, 100 years ago, we were talking about white people going to Africa. We're not talking about that anymore. They don't need you and they don't really want you. But when we think about the world map and we celebrate the global growth of Christianity, the churches in Latin America, the church in China. You know, there's more Christians in China than there are in the USA. You know, there's more churches in India than there are in the USA. I mean, it's an exciting world, right? I'd like us to bring our focus onto the unreached. Now, what I mean by that is this. If you take the world in thirds, so there's three sections here, so we'll do you, okay? One third of the world's population are Christians. Okay, if they filled in a form, what's your religion? They'd fill Christian in. So give me a wave, you guys, over here. You're the Christians, congratulations. Okay? Really happy-looking Christians. The second third of the world, that's you guys, are people who live within sound of the gospel. So people who live in places where they could access, you know, if they wanted to find out about Christianity, like Lewis said, you know, can you take me to church? They, they would know someone who's a Christian, or they would be able to access a church in their country or a Bible in their language. So one third of the world lives in kind of spaces that can access the gospel. You might think of somewhere like Western Europe, right? Where maybe not a lot of people go to church, but they could if they wanted to. One third of the world, that's you guys, give me a wave, you guys, live in unreached spaces. So if they wanted to find out about Jesus, they couldn't. And you could say, oh, they could just Google it. But the point is, a lot of these people might not have Google or have a phone. A lot of these people wouldn't even know what they were looking for. A lot of these people, if they did, wouldn't find anything in their language about Jesus. Would never meet a Christian a lot of these people live in the massive cities of North Africa and the Middle East and Asia. And that constitutes, in our world population of a third, a third, a third, three billion people. Okay, so three billion people on the planet would live in what we would call unreached cultures, unreached countries, unreached spaces. Now, and this is the bit that makes me angry. The tiniest proportion of Christians who decide to go on mission, so you guys, mostly end up going on mission here. The tiniest proportion of Christians who go on mission end up going to the unreached. It's less than 10%. Okay, so very few Christians leave their place and go on mission. A lot of those that do come here do you know the country in the world that's got the highest per capita foreign missionaries? The Bahamas. <laughs> I wonder why that is. Yeah, right? And the tiniest bit of money that the global church puts into mission gets put into mission to the unreached. Why? Because they're hard to reach. There's not a lot going on. It's inaccessible. You're not going to get banged for your buck. It's hard to plant churches there. A lot of people go and labor for years and years and see nothing happen. 
but we're talking about a third of the planet. And, you know, these are hard languages to learn. You want to learn Arabic, it's 3,000 hours as a minimum. That's like three, four years of full-time studying, right? Just investing your life just to learn a language, just to be able to talk to people. So when we talk about these things, we're not talking about, oh, I'm going to do something for two years. We're talking about people who are choosing to target their lives and invest the life that God's given them into unreached spaces. Does that make sense? And sometimes I think it's like the body of Christ is, is uncoordinated somehow. Like the head, Jesus, wants to go after the lost sheep, the unreached, and he wants to go over here, but the body is staying behind and going, no, no, we want to stay over here, and Jesus is trying to get there. And it's like a spiritual dyspraxia where the head's trying to go there and the body isn't, and there's a disconnect between the heart of God and the feet of the body of Christ. And that's the challenge for us guys. And so just a couple of things to finish, um, really around kind of vibe and atmosphere. The first would be, um, when we talk about cross-cultural mission, we've got to take the kind of white saviorism out of it. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about people going vulnerable, going with no resources, living in spaces for long periods of life, being neighbors and friends, suffering alongside people, living alongside people doing their life. None of this kind of, I'm going to fly in and you know, do some wonderful things and then leave again and post it on my Instagram. That's not what we're talking about. That's not what we're doing. The church has been guilty of that in the past. And I get told off for talking too much about decolonizing mission. And people are like, aren't you trying to get people to go? I'm like, I am trying to get people to go, but I want people to go properly. And if people aren't going to go properly, there's no point going. We're not just going to export unconscious bias all over the planet. That's been done too much in the past and caused too much damage in the name of Jesus. And your generation that feels strongly about issues of justice, racial justice, gender justice, climate justice, you've got to move towards this. And then the other thing is just a challenge to you really, why not keep it in the family? You know, New Frontiers is a massive global family all over the world. And we're, we're all working together to bring focus onto the unreached parts of the world. And so rather than you going on your own or going and setting up your own thing or even leaving your church and going with a mission agency, why don't we do it together? So many of our church planting teams into unreached spaces at the moment are partnerships of churches from all over the world. So you end up with Koreans and Africans and Americans all on a team together. Imagine being on a team with Americans. <laughs> and... and <laughs> Sorry. Um, and so we have this privilege of being part of a big global family and being able to be part of wonderful international teams that are partnering together and working together to reach unreached spaces. Uh, why not keep it in the family? Why not be part of New Frontier's story? You know, from movements that aren't reaching the unreached, they start to die. Uh, the unreached spaces, the, the cross-cultural mission frontier... It's like the R&D department of the global church. It's where entrepreneurship and contextualization and innovation happens. And we learn new things that inform the rest of the body of Christ. And so for us as a movement, it is essential that people are continuing to face up to the challenge of the unreached. Is that okay? Have I been clear enough? Not gentle enough? Great. Uh, we've got some questions. 
uh, for you to chat about. Just pause a sec. Maybe just reflect for a moment. Ask the Lord that question again that we asked at the beginning. Lord, what role would you have me play in cross-cultural mission? Is it praying? Is it making hundreds of thousands of pounds and sending? Is it supporting people? Is it going? Is it being a pastor of a church that's going to be really good at sending people? When I was 19, I was in a room like this. Uh, I was a fairly new Christian. I had a passion to go to this part of the world that I've been talking about, uh, where most of the unreached people are. And um, uh, the only question I was asking God is, when? When will I go? And the guy that was leading the meeting said, I was like, I'll go tomorrow. You know, what, what, what? And the guy that was leading the meeting said, right now pray, and God is going to speak to you about a time. And I was like, can God do that? <laughs> does he, does he? So I closed my eyes, and I felt God say to me, 11 years. And I opened my eyes, and I was like, okay, I'm 19. Quick maths, 30. Uh, oh, you know, Jesus started his ministry at 30. Uh, David became king at 30. I was like, oh, okay. It's fair. So it settled me down. I was like, okay, I can stay in London, get some training, have our family, and prepare, ready to go. And when we turned 30, we moved to Istanbul. And so I just, you know, we're talking about taking a long run-up so you can jump a long way. And for some of you, God might switch it on and you go next year, but for many of you who are exploring this sense of call, it's about how can you live a life that is intentional enough and not sink into the lovely, lush sofa of English comfort that it's really hard to get up from, but how can you intentionally keep your focus on the unreached over the years to come? as the Lord prepares you.